This is with the second pick, Steve Francis, the preposterously niche Vancouver Grizzlies basketball podcast, where we look back on the golden years of West Coast Canadian professional basketball by watching old Vancouver Grizzlies games and talking about them at a level of granular detail most would never dream of. I'm Jeremy Allingham. I'm here with my co-host, my friend, the pandemic exhausted, Justin McElroy. How you doing, Justin? I mean, there's nothing like 2022 exhausting to just sit back and watch some Vancouver Grizzlies suffering from 25 years ago. But we love it. We love it when there's a new coach on the scene for the team. We love it that any day now this team is going to turn the corner and it never does. Am I being too grim with the metaphor right now? I worry that I'm being too grim. No, I mean, there's there's the reality at hand here and uh, New Year or not. Uh, this is the Vancouver Grizzlies, and no, it is not a trip to the spa. It is not a relaxing outing. It's uh, it's a grind. You're living and dying with every possession. And today we go back to February fourth, nineteen ninety seven, at the Meadowlands in East Rutherford, New Jersey. The nine and forty Vancouver Grizzlies are visiting the twelve and thirty two New Jersey Nets. The Grizz are coming off a big ten point win on the road against the Boston Celtics. The Nets are recovering from a heartbreaking loss to the Indiana Pacers, care of a uh, Travis Best buzzer beater. Justin, take us to the starters. Yeah, well, first, I, people might wonder, what? why are we doing this random game in the middle of February? And there's a couple of reasons. One is that there's been a leadership change, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. A new coach who people will probably remember with the Grizzlies. But the other one is we try and find games that are both mem- memorable for the Grizzlies and where they have a chance of winning. Because there are a few of those hmm. in every season. And this one, both in terms of how the game went out, it was memorable. They did have a chance to win. We'll see if it happens or not. But look, anytime you know, we would circle the calendar as fans whenever they would face the Clippers, the Timberwolves, bad teams where you go, finally, the Grizzlies might get on the board. And against these Nets, it was certainly a possibility. And you look at that when you look at the starting lineups. For the Grizzlies, it's what is sort of a standard lineup for them, except for George Lynch out of the lineup. He's injured, so you have Roy Rogers in place. Otherwise, it's G-Money, Big Country, Reef, and Anthony Peeler. For the Nets, it is just a veritable smorgasbord of, hey, it's that guy. Yeah, totally. We've got Kendall Gill, uh, Khalid Reeves, Kerry Kittles, Tony Massenburg, future Grizzly, and, oh my God, it's Sean Bradley. Um, <laughs> and interestingly, like I don't want get, to get too far into it, but it's almost like the broadcast team, which was Ian Eagle and Bill Raftery, which they are just fantastic. But I feel like they were so prepared for a bad game that they built this massive narrative around Jason Williams, the power forward and big time rebounder for the Nets at the time, that he's got this thumb injury and there's this drama that he was supposed to have surgery and not. This thing is talked about every five minutes for the entire game. And there's like... 10 minutes of coverage of it right off the top as well. And some very troubling news for the New Jersey Nets to deal with today. Jason Williams, the thumb has been acting up on that right hand. He is scheduled for surgery. The ligament damage will be corrected 
Monday is the scheduled surgery. Knowing Jason the way that we do, he's volatile. He changes his mind an awful lot. So you don't quite know if that surgery will happen on Monday. But as of right now, Jason claims he's going to do it. They, and, you know, I looked at the stats because I did not remember him being this good this year. And, in fact, it's the next year that he's an all-star for the Nets. But, yeah, he brings a lot of heart to the team, a lot of energy. And it's one of those things when you're playing out a mediocre season as the Nets are, you try and find things as a broadcast game after game to raise it up in case it is a boring game. But in the first quarter, it's not boring. It is high scoring for both teams. They're both going at it. They're both making a lot of shots. And the Grizzlies are making more of them. We get a couple nice uh, times where Reef kicks out to Reeves for a long to Abdul Rahim out of the double Reeves is open and buries it boy spotting up beautifully Oklahoma State one of those guys that captured America great sense of humor we get an Anthony Peeler three we then get a Greg Anthony three Peeler is on the break he scores early on it's 19 to 13 Grizz and they are clicking with a level of offense that we don't normally see with them no, and one thing that I noticed is after um, uh, Vancouver Grizzlies' fast break is the coach of the New Jersey Nets is John Calipari, now of uh, University of Kentucky fame. And it's funny, it was a small thing, but it really jumped out at me. And that's one of the reasons I think college coaches never succeed or very rarely succeed at the professional level is they give up the dunk on the fast break and Calipari calls a 20 and he just starts berating them. He's yelling in the face of million-dollar NBA athletes the way he would, you know, a 17, 18, 19 year old college freshman. I thought that was really funny, but it really did kind of tell the story of how the Grizzlies were taking it to the Nets in that first quarter, really feeding Reef in the post, country stroking it from outside. And you see a little bit of snap and a little bit of a uh, little sazzle on that peeler jumper early as well. Uh, the Nets are staying into it, though, courtesy, for the most part, of Kerry Kittles, who is really playing both great, stroking it from the three, but also athleticism, getting to the rim. We get a couple, and here's a chance to talk about one of your favorite pet peeves with this 1996-1997 Grizzlies team, Lawrence Moden and his hideous jump shot. Oh, man, like, it's, it's. I mean, there's not too much to talk about. That's the problem, right? Is like, <laughs> he's such a placeholder. He's a pawn out there. Um, you know, we always try to acknowledge that these guys are supreme athletes to make it to that point. But as far as the NBA, NBA game is concerned, Lawrence Moten is contributing almost nothing. I mean, you know, there might be a, a little bit of D happening on, on the one end of the floor, but offensively, there's just nothing happening here. The only thing interesting we find out about Lawrence Moten in this first quarter is that uh, Bill Raftery, who's a Syracuse alum, just like Lawrence Moten, points out that he used to call him the poet. And we know about poetry in Moten, of course, as Vancouver Grizzlies fans. Lawrence Moten checking in for Vancouver. A little inflection of the voice with feeling. Uh, let me say it one more time. Lawrence Moten of Syracuse. That's what I thought. Checks in for the Grizzlies. Here, alma mater. Kittles on a drive, the leaner. And the poet was taught a little verse there. They used to call uh, Lawrence that up there. Yes. The poet in motion. It sounds like this could have been the Genesis story of that nickname, which was really interesting to hear going back to his uh, college, uh, college days with the Orangemen. I mean, I remember him being smooth ball handling on the court, but obviously I had wiped away all knowledge of how he actually shot the ball. Uh, the first quarter finishes with him doing a line drive shot, missing at the buzzer. However, the Grizzlies are up 26-24 after one, and that leads us to our first quarter segment. Extra, extra, the Reef Review. 
And man, Jeremy, Reef was, you know, we've talked a lot about his scoring ability so far this year. But in this first quarter, one thing that impressed us was really his distribution as well. Yeah, so they decide in this game that they are going to feed Sharif Abdurrahim in the post. And I started a tally and made sure I kept really close track of it. And they went to him 10 times, no fewer than 10 times in the opening stanza. So they are absolutely pounding the ball into Reef. And he looks just mighty comfortable in there. Like he is grabbing it. He's taking his time. He's got patience. He's turning and scoring. At one point, he actually does an absolutely beautiful spin move and scores, or I can't remember if he scores or gets fouled. But then the Nets respond because what's happened is they have a mismatch. They have Kendall Gill giving up five inches to Sharif. And he starts playing a high-low game with Country. And now Country is just roasting 16, 17-footers, 15, 17-footers on beautiful passes from Reef. And it's it's just looking really nice. And he's just got a really mature and patient look to his game. And as far as his line is concerned, he played 39 minutes, 24 points, 11 rebounds, five dimes. I think that's what you were talking about. He's really surveying the court, only one turnover, and he shot really well too. 53% from the field and 86% from the free throw line. I, you know, the, the announcers absolutely were falling in love with Reef the whole game. And, you know, I can't really disagree with him because he looked fantastic. It's one of those, like, part of it is the Nets are a bad team and they don't move quickly on on defense. Uh, but part of it is just you sort of go, wow, this could have been this every game. Just Reef dominating, low post, using country as more of that ideal place where he's just in the high post making those 13 to 14 footers all the time. Uh, the problem is twofold. Number one, the Grizzlies basically stopped beating him in the post after the first quarter for mm-hmm. confusion using reasons uh and, and then look not every reef game is efficient as efficient as this one if it was uh they might have been a better team at the end of it now they needed more support but in this one it's really just you think about he's just 20 years old here he's just 50 games into his first season and the poise he has for when he gets double teamed after double team really something yeah, and it's it's crazy because every time we go to do one of these podcasts, I, you know, I check in on his basketball reference page, and there it is, one-time All-Star. And it always, I mean, obviously it's my position as this podcast host of looking back at these games, and, you know, we need something to hang our hat on and to talk about, but, like, he really does look promising and, like, an outstanding player. The, the announcers go so far as to say that he could be a dream team representative. Like, this is... yeah. And as a rookie, as a 20-year-old, yeah, this guy is the limit here. The problem is, as we know, he just doesn't progress from this level, right? And, you know, there's an element of being stuck in a shit situation with the Vancouver Grizzlies that we know can really wear on guys and can really stunt their development, right, as well. So, but yeah, Sharif, they say he could be dream team. They say he's one of the best up-and-coming players in the league, all-star, all that stuff. But, you know, the basketball reference page with that lonely all-star appearance and that's, you know, that ends up being the tale of the career. And now he's like going to be one of the most powerful people in the basketball world as he moves up the ranks in the NBA. Uh, does not work out, however. Second quarter begins. Uh, the Nets are starting to chip away. They go on a little bit of a run. Kerry Kittles gets uh, a three-pointer. Uh, but there's one element that starts to dominate the Nets on offense here, for better or worse, 
and it is everyone's fourth favorite monster in the original Space Jam, <laughs> Mr. Seven Foot Six, Sean Bradley. Well, uh, remember the tiny aliens I told you about? Oh, man. Like, I have to tell you, like, it's weird because I don't, you don't get, when you're watching these games as the host of the podcast, you're taking notes, you're trying to think about narratives. You don't get mad very often, but I was, it is such a displeasure to watch Sean Bradley play basketball. It's just awful. Like, he's so awkward. He's so thin. He... Like, there's nothing simple about his game either. Like, he posts up, like, 15 feet out and does, like, three spin moves and a fadeaway when you're like, dude, you're seven foot six. Get as close as you can to the rim and try and do that. He's one for seven in the first half, and he looks... It's just a joke. Like, you, like you kind of just go, how can this guy... You know, the, the story changes in a bit in the second half, and we'll talk about that. But at that point, I'm just going, like... Is this just this old school thing where it's just like, well, he's a tall man. We must continue to try to make him an NBA basketball player like they did with like Merson and guys like this, right? Like, but he sucks shit in this first half. And it's just, it was aggravating to watch. It's funny. And, you know, watching that, I was like, I know he's not this bad. I know he's stiff. You know, he's not this stiff. I know that he's not a great shooter. I know that also that he's not this awkward because he did play for a long time in the NBA, and was a decent rotation player. But he is not feeling it here in the second quarter. A lot of the Nets, frankly, are not either. But they're getting a lot of offensive rebounds, getting a lot of second chances. And the other key net that we need to talk about in this game, who is really pushing the play for them, is Kerry Kittles. Oh, Curry Kittles, according to Bill Raftery. I just I kept <laughs> going, I'm like, wait, Curry is... You know, is Dell in this game? What's going on? This was Curry in the open floor, slithering with this smooch late. No, he's talking about Kerry Kittles. Of course, the uh, rookie for the New Jersey, New Jersey Nets uh, drafted after Sharif that draft. And he looks awesome. He is so fast. He's knifing through the defense. He's making tough leaners and floaters. He's stroking it from deep. Gill on a lead for Kittles. Splitting defenders. Banking it home. What a move. Penetration. Kind of, he, because he's so skinny, he reminded me of Tyrese Halliburton, but then he's so explosive that I thought he was kind of a mix between Halliburton and John Morant in some ways. Like, he really did have that like nice, quick first step. Um, he's got quick hands on defense. Like, speaking of, like, we talked about Reef and kind of potential that never really came through. Like, Kerry Kittle, same thing. Like, he looked amazing, though he could be one of those stories because he was drafted as a senior like he comes into the league as like, hey, this is me at my kind of like finished level of athleticism. I'm not quite sure. And, you know, the starring role, starring role in a bad team too, right? So he gets lots more touches than he might on a good team, but he looks great. And he has 18 in the first half. 18, and he is the fulcrum point for the Nets in this first half. In this second quarter, particularly, they score 36 points in the second. And we'll talk about this in the second half, but the Grizzlies' D 
it's not exactly there. They're not tied up against people. They're not doubling when they need to. There's just a lot of open spaces. So even though the Grizzlies are still getting lots of points, they have 52 at the end of the second quarter. The Nets have 60. Anthony Peeler with 17. Otherwise, one of the big highlights for us in this second quarter is we get our first sighting of a Grizzly mainstay. That's right. We had a little uh, chilly Pete, Pete Chilcutt. Pete Chilcutt, dangerous from long range. Just into the game. You're right. He slices it up from out there. Shows his face. And I was like, here we go. Let's enjoy the ride, people. Unfortunately, only three minutes. And I honestly didn't notice him do anything. But we do take great pride in mentioning all of the bit players for the Vancouver Grizzlies. And one other thing I wanted to talk about was um, because it's a running theme and we don't get too much Roy Rogers on the Vancouver Grizzlies for much longer, we got really tired of Roy Rogers' cowboy jokes and Ian Eagle preempts Bill Raftery and says, you're not going to make any of those trigger jokes, are you? Yep. And he goes, no, no, no. But then proceeds to make about seven Roy Rogers country music like comparisons and goes like. They're Roy Rogers in tune. You can't help yourself, can you? They can't help themselves with this Roy Rogers thing. It's an unbelievable man. I mean, there's only so many th things you can latch on for the opposition team, I guess, especially when they're as putative as the Grizzlies. It is 60 to 52 for the Nets at the half. That leads us to our halftime segment. What did Stu do now? <laughs> and Jeremy, this might be the greatest. In terms of sheer chutzpah, <laughs> what did Stu do now moment of his entire leadership of the Vancouver Grizzlies? The power grab. Stu goes for the power grab. He fires Brian Winters. I mean, it's not like he needed some big excuse to fire a coach who's 9-40 and 40 in the second year and struggling badly. But he actually fires Brian Winters on January 24th. Uh, after a 19-point loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who were not world beaters at this point. And I believe they scored 76 points in that game. So it was a real crater moment for the Grizzlies. And one of those ones that if Stu's looking to take the reins and become the coach, I mean, you can't really blame him for doing it. But uh, it's really interesting to think about you know, the stories that were told about this in the game because it was so fresh. And, you know, the Nets guys are talking about it. And he's, uh, Stu's actually interviewed by the Nets broadcast team, and he said... Well, we really felt that uh, we had to go in a different direction, Matt, and we're really specifically speaking about uh, attaining a different culture for our team, a different ethic and, and a direction there, and certainly to try to establish some consistency, which uh, prior to the change, certainly we didn't have. Which are beautiful words but the number of times those guys played Matador defense and didn't get back on D. Let me just tell you, that culture and ethic was not seeping in, albeit only, you know, a week and a half, two weeks later. Yeah, and uh, th this firing by Winters was a fairly long time coming. All throughout the previous month of January, there had been rumors. Blue Edwards had publicly bashed Winters in the press for not providing enough leadership and letting uh, the rookies just run rampant. In his words, Greg Anthony also said a few critical things as well. It was clear that what they were trying to do and build on on this second season wasn't working for a wide variety of ways. And so, yeah, I get it. As, as Stu, you know, you need to make a change. You want to wait until the offseason to find 
behind the best permanent coach because you only have 35 games or so left in the season that you can do things for. And lest we forget, Stu Jackson did coach an NBA team to the playoffs. It was the New York Knicks with Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley, so it's not like it was the hardest thing to do. But that team beat the Boston Celtics, the Bird McHale Parish Celtics, in the playoffs. And uh, there he did have a decent reputation at the time. Uh, the problems were twofold. Number one, this is still the players that Stu Jackson selected to play for the Vancouver Grizzlies that now he has to coach. And number two, the problems that the Grizzlies had in the first half of the season with Winters in terms of X's and O's and playing solid defense and having an actual plan and motion on offense beyond give the ball to Reef do not change with Stu Jackson as coach in the second half. Yeah, and I mean, he, um, speaking of that chutzpah, in the interview, he kind of intimates that he doesn't want to coach. This is not something I want to do. You know, he's kind of giving, giving it that, like, um, I guess I'm going to have to if no one else will kind of thing. Um, you know, and he, uh, you know, he finishes the year with Vancouver coaching uh, with a sparkling record of 6-33, and 33, a 15% win-loss percentage. And that leads to a perfect quote that was given 25 years later or 24 years later to our good buddy, Patrick Johnston of the province. He interviewed Brian Winters for a 25th anniversary piece. And there's just like the perfect quote because he doesn't go for the throat, but the truth stings the most sometimes. And the quote was, quote, I just wish there was more patience there, but it is what it is. He made the decision to coach and then he found out just how hard it was. I'm always going to have a soft spot in my head for Winters. He was the first coach that I watched. He knew that he was dealt a rough hand. He'd always, my dad always called him, uh, what was the name of the Adams family guy, Munster, on uh, the court. Uh, but uh, yeah, they tried something to, with him, long-time respected assistant coach. Like everything else for Vancouver, it just didn't work out. On to the third quarter, and the second quarter is about the Nets dominating. The third quarter is also about the Nets dominating. And now we suddenly have Sean Bradley, the seven six foot phenom, turning it on. He gets a giant dunk. He gets a layup on the break. And most importantly, he is grabbing so many offensive rebounds because the Grizzlies, bless their heart, cannot get a defensive rebound for the life of them. Bradley, the hook, drains it. We have not seen that from the middle that often. That's not a bad weapon in there. Elevate a little bit. Yeah, he plays, I mean, much to my chagrin, he plays way better in the second half. He comes alive. He ends up with 16 points, 16 boards, and four blocks. And, uh, I mean, he shoots eight for 22. Like, he put up 22 shots and shot 36%. So, I mean, it's not like it was a gorgeous, uh, gorgeous performance. But I think... It really was because he went from a zero in the first half and it was pretty close. And that's where this massive Nets lead comes in is kind of him because Kendall Gill was playing well. Kerry Kittles was already playing well. Tony Massenberg was playing quite well as well. And Jason Williams uh, in relief of Jason Williams. And it really was that hole, that zero at center that was keeping them close to the Grizzlies. Then Bradley turns it on in the third quarter and they go on a, like an immediate 15 to five run. And that puts them up, I believe, 18 at one point. And yeah, this game 75 to 57. Yeah, yeah. So the game is pretty much out of reach. And it was kind of a flurry of Sean Bradley dunk, layup, block, kind of just getting in the middle of things. 
They're, and they're just not, they're so, so and you know, we, we love country, we love Reef. They are being soft here in the post. And on offense, the, the offense is basically ground to a halt. They're not getting it into Reef at all. The only thing that is working for them is Anthony Peeler is having one of those games where he always has the confidence. We know that. He'll shoot from everywhere. But it's going in at this game. Even They're down 18, but he tries chipping away a little bit. He gets uh, a nice three. Peeler. Pull up for three, book it. Uh, he gets fouled, gets two free throws. He's the only one having a spark at this point. Yeah, and we should also, I mean, I want to talk quickly about the Bradley stuff. Like, let's call a spade a spade here. Like, country has a decent game, 20 and 7 on 9 and 19, but like, you can't have your first overall pick from two years before getting dominated by Sean Bradley. Like, that's no. just, that can't happen, and that's what was happening. Like, like country's got the weight on him. He's got the strength on him and he's just not, he's not holding his own and he's letting the guy get the best of him. And that's no good. Uh, the other thing here is kind of tracking the ongoing devolution of our season one favorite player. And like Greg Anthony, he's yeah. a shell of himself and it's, you know, it's gotta be injuries. Maybe it's like some mental stuff. He's not all there. He doesn't want to be there, but like, it's an eye test thing, you know, like obviously the numbers aren't there too. You can look at the numbers and see night and day between season one and season two, but on the eye test, he just looks very stiff. He looks, he looks like an old guy yeah. point guard in the league. And like, I mean, the shot's still kind of the, the, the honky left-handed weird kind of side chuck thing, which whatever, but he doesn't look as strong on D he doesn't look fluid. And he definitely can't get to the lane. He can't get to the bucket. I mean, he's not really even trying to, but I think it's because he can't do it. Like the body's just not doing what he wants it to do, I think. Yeah, it's that lack of speed and penetration, and it really shows how unimaginative the Grizzlies' offense is outside of what he was delivering in that season one, because we just get a whole bunch of times of standing around the perimeter, one little bit of action, a brief off a screen, or country on a pick, and that's essentially that. And... Uh, it gives Peeler more opportunities to shoot from wherever the heck he wants to shoot, but it's jarring both on offense, it's jarring on defense, because Anthony was their best player on defense on the perimeter getting the steals, and it just shows how little depth of quality, real quality players the Grizzlies uh, have here. Uh, the third quarter comes to an end on a putrid play again on defense. There's 1.1 seconds left. The Grizzlies got a point. The Nets are throwing it in from their own baseline, and it's a wide open cross court pass right to Gill. He's fouled right at the bucket. Two easy points for them. It goes from a 10 point deficit to a 12 point deficit. Nets are up 87 75. And interesting, just on that foul thing, it was actually, it really spoke of the quality of these two teams. First, Sean Bradley fouls Aaron Williams 100 feet from the basket. Then Aaron Williams turns around <laughs> and fouls Gill. And you're just like, Guys, you can't be giving up three points like that with one second left in a quarter. Uh, but they do because Vancouver, it's 87.75 for New Jersey, which leads us to our third quarter segment. There are no Grizzlies. So, Justin, this player is someone who, hilariously, I remember as being absolutely ripped. And when I saw him in this game, absolutely ripped actually equated to 
every single player in modern basketball. <laughs> yeah, I, he is very fit. He's tough down low. He only had a cup of coffee for the Grizzlies, but this is what this segment is for. So let's talk about Aaron Williams. We get our first look at him in this game. He signed a 10-day contract with the Grizzlies earlier this season, undrafted from college, played in the CBA, Italy, Greece, really bouncing around. And he manages in the second half of this season to get into the mix for the Grizz, becoming a solid rotation player, averages 17 minutes a game, six points, four rebounds, but more importantly, the advanced stats, because unlike, you know, basically every Vancouver Grizzly, uh, it shows that he's tough on D, that he doesn't give up a lot of points on his man, that he rebounds and gets a high percentage of rebounds as well. And so the advanced show stats show him as the best player when it comes to win shares per 48 minutes for the wow. entire season. Now, you would think a player like that, on the minimum, grateful to be with Vancouver, might stick around for a little bit. Well, this is Stu Jackson and asset management we're talking about. After picking Otis Thorpe in that trade, suddenly the Grizzlies have too many power th forwards. He's allowed to sign with uh, the Supersonics as a free agent in the offseason for just over the league minimum. And Aaron Williams turns into a pretty good journeyman who gets starts for the Sonics, gets starts for the Nets, becomes a key piece of the Nets for their run to the finals four years later, ironic given that we're doing this game, and has way more of an NBA career after playing for the Grizzlies than 90% of the players that the Grizzlies had. So good on Aaron. Talk about the definition of perseverance, this guy. Like, look at his, his b-ball ref page. 14-year career after, like, not making it into the league till he's 22 and plays till he's 36. And, like, they're almost all seemingly, like, half seasons because he's joining late, he's getting traded. Like, this guy just wouldn't quit. And, you know, of course, he never put up big numbers. I guess he had double digits one year for the Nets. But, man, like, that's that's impressive to see. And, you know, we don't in – the, in the NBA world, like, there's only time to talk about the best plays, the superstars, the all-stars, like, who's going to go to the finals. But, like, in the real world of, like, growing up, trying to make the NBA, like, this guy is an, like, amazing success. To play yeah. 715 games in the NBA when probably he was ruled out every step of the way, you know, a six foot nine power forward, not that big, not that overpowering, but was in fantastic shape and just played till an old age and just, you know, helped teams grind out 82 game schedules and, you know, a few playoff wins as well. And, the, you know, every team needs those great 7th, 8th, ninth men grinders that can get you 15 minutes that won't embarrass you when they get in. The Grizzlies didn't have enough of them. They had one in their face. Let them go. Uh, fourth quarter begins, and uh, the Grizzlies down by 12, and they never really push away from that too much. But the one player, again, still bringing it. Anthony Peeler, he gets a three with a hand in his face. Then a couple minutes later, he gets a facial right on Bradley. 14-point cushion. Peeler on the baseline. Challenging Bradley. He went up high for the slam. Well, in hockey, you might call it a face-off after he jammed that. He gave a little peek at Sean Bradley. That's a face lift. That was incredible. Uplifting if you're a Grizzly fan. But right here, Sean just posterizes oh, him. <laughs> that was really unexpected because he's only 6'4". Like, I'm thinking he's going to just kind of, like, use the body to fend off Bradley on one side and do, like, a right-handed layup. He's just, like, brimming with confidence. He's feeling it and just explodes up. Even, I mean, look, like, Bradley's always dunked on, but usually it's by the, like, 6'7", 6'8", small forward, power forward types. Like, Peeler 
man, like if I was Peeler even to this day, I'd be still thinking about that dunk. That was sweet. Peeler is having a special game, and you think that maybe the team has some life in it that they can cut back. The problem is twofold. Number one, they're not making nearly enough shots on offense. We have one sequence where there's Anthony misses a three, then Peeler misses a three right after. And the other one is just they're not playing well on defense. Bradley gets an offensive rebound and a bucket at one point. Gill gets an easy layup. There's just too many easy shots for the Nets that the Grizzlies are giving up. Yeah, and it's interesting. We got one stat from the announcers that when the Grizzlies allow more than 95 points this season, they're 0-28. 0-28. Um, but uh, yeah, no, AP has nine points in the last five minutes, and he's basically the only reason that, like, it's weird because the the final score it's only six, right? It's a 111 to, to 105. Yeah. But it's not actually that close of a basketball game. It's really only Peeler drilling all these shots. And then he gets fouled a bunch in the last couple of minutes as well. That makes it, you can kind of hear the announcers go like, oh, actually this might be a game, but it never quite got there. But Anthony Peeler looked unbelievable. He looked like, you know, if that's someone who could do that on a pseudo or semi-consistent basis, that's someone who might be getting some all-star votes. Well, and that's why he stayed in the league for so long. There was always the potential with Peeler that he could go off for a 40-point game. This was his 40-point game. Peeler's got a chance to crack the 40-point plateau. 39 points for Anthony Peeler. 60 seconds remaining. Peeler's got 40. 107-100. And in fact, you know, the Grizzlies do get a little bit close at the end. Reef makes it two. They cut it down to five points. But then there's about 35 seconds left in the game. You have to foul. The Grizzlies, for whatever reason, take 10 seconds to foul, really limiting their opportunities. Then again, Anthony gets a three-pointer, cuts it to four. They then take another three seconds off the clock to foul again. It's just not good management. Thank God they changed the coach. <laughs> Because clearly it was the coach's fault that they were doing stupid shit in the waning moments of games where they could have actually made a difference. That one, like, those are the ones that I just don't, like, is is it because fouling on purpose is such an unnatural act to the game of basketball that players can't be like, oh, we're down seven with 37 seconds left. Like, we got to make this a free throw shooting contest or it's over. And they're like, waiting, waiting. And the announcers are like, 107, 102, 27 seconds left. Well, the Grizzlies foul. No, they're not. They're going to play it out. Boy, this is, wow. Why not do it right away? They lost it 11 seconds almost, right? Yeah. From when they got control of the ball. Shot clock was down to 13. That's got it into the And then he waits till 20 and does it. And you're like, what? Just, you've, you've defeated the entire purpose. You rolled the clock down and gave them free throws. It should be one or the other. Oh. This season, has been, we've been saying we want to see why the Grizzlies managed to win less games in season two compared to season one we saw a lot of reasons why in this one game poor defense poor clock management being soft not having any good guards that can real really penetrate uh final score 111 105 jeremy your three stars for the game yeah let's let's do a little three stars action i mean uh indisputably for me Kerry Kittles is the best player in this game. What's his line? He ends up with 32, which I believe is a career high, eight boards, six assists, three steals uh, on 50% shooting. My second star has to go to AP because he's absolutely dominant. And then, you know what? I think the third star has to go to the winning team. So I would actually say, and we didn't talk much about him, but Kendall Gill, 25 points, 
nine boards, four assists, and a block. And he played good D against the bigger opponents. He looked good out there. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'd have to, to agree with your first two choices. We didn't talk a lot about him after the first quarter, but for third star, I'm going to go with Reef. It was a quiet 9 for 17, 24 points and 11 rebounds, but five assists as well. Really solid game for him. The problem, as always, he just needed more support. And, you know, 40 points from Peeler today, great. There was just not enough. You look at Lee Mayberry, 0 for 1 in 18 minutes. Oh, Chris God. Robinson, 0 for 2 in 16 in minutes. So it just not the support that the Grizzlies needed a constant lament with this team and with that this has been with the second pick Steve Francis I'm Jeremy Allingham for Justin McElroy we'll be back again when the Grizzlies take on the Lakers it's showtime baby all right it's showtime baby we'll see the Lakers maybe get a little uh Shaq Diesel action. Check you next time.